0: Welcome to Access Utah, I'm Tom Williams. Inspirational stories on the program today. Coming up in the second half, we're going to be talking with uh, Utah entrepreneur Taylor Richards. By 15, he was an alcoholic. Spent more than 10 years in that state. Thanksgiving night, 2008, was a turning point. And he's now a successful entrepreneur, as I mentioned, and uh, husband and father. We'll uh, hear his story in the second half of the program. First half, very inspirational uh, project, the Anything Can Be project, and a new book called True Heroes. This is what photographer Justin Diaz, or Jonathan Diaz rather uh, said. I've always been fascinated by the power and poignancy of a child's imagination. Children are not afraid to dream big. They believe anything is possible. They're innocent. And with this innocence comes dreams and honest aspirations that, from the view of an outsider, might seem impossible. However, through the eyes of a child, such dreams absolutely are obtainable. Jonathan Diaz uh, had a great idea. He would uh, um, give a chance to 21 pediatric cancer patients uh, to have a professional photo shoot to actually make visual their dreams. And then he commissioned from some best-selling authors uh, stories based on, uh, on those dreams. And uh, Jonathan Diaz uh, joins me for uh, this part of the program. Welcome. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so tell me... You write in your introduction uh, that uh, this was a response, and I'll just quote you: "Late 2013, I realized I was not satisfied where my photography career was was headed." Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, um, you know, I was doing uh, the typical family portraiture and senior portraiture and weddings and that sort of thing, and and I I really got into photography to tell stories, to tell interesting. Um, incredible stories. And and so I I wanted to start focusing more on doing that. And and that's kind of where this project
0: started. And uh, how, how did you come up with the idea of um, depicting children's dreams? I guess, as you say in your introduction, you've always been fascinated by this.
1: Yeah. Um, well, ever since I started, well, even when I was a kid, um, I was a huge daydreamer. I would constantly think about uh, you know I'd visualize myself as a superhero or um, you know that type of thing and I, and I was fascinated with comic books I was fascinated with movies and television and and I just loved being able to kind of take myself um, to different places and so um, and then when I when I had my own kids my own children uh, had vivid imaginations and I and I loved watching them play and I always wondered you know what are they thinking about when they're you know they've got their little army men or their little superhero guys. You know what's what's in their mind, and I was really interested in kind of exploring that. And so, um, so with my own kids, I, I started doing these images of them dreaming um, and imagining. And um, and I remember my oldest son. He we did this really cool photograph of him wearing a cape and. Um, he had this basketball, jer- uh, Utah Jazz jersey on, and and I imagined him dreaming of becoming a jazz player someday. And and the cape that he was wearing represented, you know, imagination. And 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 I thought, how awesome would it be to do something like that, but for or for children who could really use that help and use that visualization in order to overcome something hard. And and so that's kind of where it started, where I decided to. Do the same thing, but for children who are fighting um, cancer.
0: So uh, yeah, this pulls your heartstrings, doesn't it? Children fighting cancer—that's, you know, they still dream, obviously. But it's—I uh, don't know—the sense of reality there. It's maybe harder to dream, or, or is that the case? They they still dream.
1: You know, they they do still dream, um, and that's and that's sort of what I wanted to to tell people with this with this book and with the series and everything. You know, these kids. A lot of times, the way kids are depicted when it comes to pediatric cancers is, you know, they're just stuck in the hospital, they're poked and prodded, and 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 while that's all true, um, and and fighting cancer is difficult, um, these kids are still kids, and they're not defined by um, this disease that's that's plaguing them. They they really are dreamers, and they really do have um, imaginations, and and so I wanted to portray them in a way that help people understand that while, you know, they these kids are going through difficult times, um, they deserve better, and they deserve to be seen in a different light and as strong and courageous and heroic.
0: Uh, so uh, 21 uh, children, and you gave each yeah. one a, a professional photo shoot depicting their their dreams.
1: Yes. Um, yeah, we... Yeah, I just I wanted to help them visualize. I think there's something very powerful about being able to visualize your um, where you ought to be, um, you know. And it's and I think it's um, it's it's just a powerful way to if I, if I can help them see themselves in their dream, whatever that dream is. Um, my but- hope is that they'll be able to take that and and see themselves outside of cancer, see themselves beating cancer and then see themselves and being able to visualize themselves accomplishing whatever goals they have in their life. And, and so that's, that's really my hope. And I think that photography is a very powerful medium to, to help people visualize um, who they, who they can be. And I think, I think even for adults it's hard to sometimes, you know, we get stuck in, in ruts, we get stuck in dead end jobs, we get stuck in addiction, we get stuck in all these different things. And, and being able to visualize ourselves as heroes, as heroes of our own story, I think that's a very powerful message.
0: Uh, yeah, a powerful message for us all. Um, and you also went out and uh, commissioned some uh, some pretty famous authors, uh, a lot of these yeah. in the Utah Connection, to, to write some stories based on these dreams. Yes.
1: Yeah, um, so I – you know, still photography in my mind is is – is an interesting form of art. It's, 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 uh, you have to tell an entire story within, you know, a single frame. And, and so I, I love, I think that's one of the reasons I'm drawn to it. And I, and I thought, well, okay, what could I, what could I do that would be a companion to still photography? And I thought, um, short stories would be perfect because I, I'm a fan of short stories. I've read a lot of different short stories in my life and, and, and I think it takes a very creative mind and a very, um, good storyteller to flesh out an entire story within, you know, five or six pages. And so, um, I thought that would be perfect as a companion to the images. And so I just I started reaching out to, um, authors and, and it took a while, but we finally were able to, um, get some incredible authors. Every single one of our authors are just incredible. Every story is beautiful. And, um, and they wrote these amazing short stories about the kids and their dreams. And I, and I don't think that that's something that's really ever been done, where an author takes real kids and writes stories about real kids and their dreams. And and so it's, it, it, it turned out to be a really incredible book.
0: By the way, coming up in a few minutes, uh, we're going to be at, uh, we have a recorded conversation with uh, Peggy Edelman, who wrote uh, Bray Lynn and the Speeding Trains, about uh, Bray Lynn, one of the... Uh... The beautiful children yeah. in this book. I want to talk about uh, the, your, the first story here. This is uh, a well-known author, Shannon Hale. Uh, she wrote Lily's story, and I'm just reading from the book here. Lily is the only known person to born with Ewing sarcoma and survive. She had zero percent chance of surviving, and yeah. y- yet she did. It's interesting to be Shannon Hale. Uh, her story is about a warrior princess imprisoned in a tower by goblins who. Shave the princess's head so she can't escape, a la Rapunzel. This, I guess this is a nod to a reality that the, <laughs> that the kids go through, of course, losing their yes, hair. Yes. Uh, so tell me about Lily.
1: Yeah, Lily's story um, is really incredible. Her So she was born with Ewing sarcoma. Um, it's a form of bone cancer. And um, there are only, I think, four or five, people in the world recorded in the world that have been born with Ewing sarcoma and they've all passed away. And, and Lily, her pro- her diagnosis was, her prognosis was you're, you have zero chance of surviving cause nobody ever has. And, and Ewing sarcoma just in general is a, a very nasty form of cancer. Um, and, and so, um, the doctors kind of, kind of gave up hope and, um, the mom, her mother, Trish, um, just a, a beautiful story of not only the child fighting, but the mother fighting for the child, and and just not giving up and not giving up hope. And that's that's really what the book is about. That's what the project is about: is is to never give up hope, no matter the odds. And and so her story comes first, and and because I think it's it's a very um, it sets a tone for the entire book. This this child who was given no hope of survival and her mom fought for her and, and kept that hope alive and, and she did survive and she's still alive and she's doing well. And, um, and just for that to happen is just, to me, it's just a, a testament to that miracles do happen. And, uh, and that, um, you know, and there's, there's other stories in the book where kids haven't survived and, and it's okay. How do you find hope in that situation? And I think that there's, there's there's a lot to be learned from this book. Um, there's a lot of different sides to every story, and so. Um, but Lily, Lily, the, we depicted her as a warrior princess because her mom describes her as such. Her mom says that Lily is a warrior princess, and so we wanted to we wanted to show her that way. And she has her her whole army behind her, supporting her, and that's how it is with every child that's facing this disease. They have they have support. They have so much help, and. I just think there's so many beautiful stories within each each child's story.
0: As you mentioned there there are some um, some children featured in the book who who did not survive. That I, that has to be getting to know them I suppose and you know having participated with them in this project uh, that probably hits you hard.
1: Yeah, it is it is hard. Um you know I I tell people all the time that um I've probably cried more in the last two years than I have in my entire life. And that's, that's a true statement. Um, there are a couple of children that have passed away. And I think um, that's a reality um, of, of this disease. Um, it, it is a, it's a deadly disease. It, it, um, these kids are fighting for their lives. And while many of them do survive, um, they, not all of them do. And, and I think that's part of the hope with this project is that we do raise awareness for people so that people do realize that this is out there. Let's not hide our heads in the sand. Let's do something about it. These kids deserve uh, more funding. They deserve more, uh, more help. And that's my hope is that I can open doors um, by just portraying these kids in a way that's accessible for people. You know, they can see them as strong and powerful, and then they can say, okay, now how can I help? And, and that's really my hope with this project um, but it is difficult um, just you know kind of coming for example um, it, it's something that we've talked about in my own family I have, I have four kids of my own and my 10 year old son for example he's a very sensitive kid and, and you know we talk about the project and, when he's around and, and at first it was really hard for him it was hard for him to kind of deal with the fact that um, you know, he, uh, um, um, Jordan passed away, and um, um, there was another one, and I'm blanking on, on his name now. But anyways, you know, he, he kind of knew these kids, knew their names, knew their stories, and then they, they passed away, and that was really hard for him at first. And, and so when we were able to talk with him about that, we were able to kind of discuss with him what that means and what cancer is, and and how there are doctors helping these kids, and there's there's organizations that help these kids as well, and and then there is this hope, and and he was able to kind of come come to grips with that, and then um, and then he was able to um, make it his goal now, his own dream to be a doctor that cures cancer someday. So. So now, you know, we turned something that was difficult for him to kind of grasp and turned it into something that now he has a passion for and wants to
0: be part of as he grows up. Mm, that's wonderful. Uh, tell me, you mentioned Jordan. Uh, tell me about Jordan. Uh, reading here, it's even, <laughs> these are these are tough things. Uh, I guess her father passed away before she even was diagnosed. Yeah
1: her, yeah, her father passed away three weeks prior to her passing, or excuse me, prior to her diagnosis. And... Uh, she And so that was, I mean, you can only imagine how that was on their whole family. And then she was diagnosed with with this uh, horrible disease. And um, she fought it for nine months and then passed away. We shot her images um, two months, or excuse me, two weeks, two or three weeks before she passed away. And she was home on hospice. Um, the nurses were there. Um, her fa- Her whole family was there. Um, supporting her, and, you know, she was uncomfortable, uh, she, it was difficult, um, but she wanted to be part of this project, <clears throat> she she wanted to be Alice from Alice in Wonderland, she wanted to, I think, I, I've thought back on her story a lot, and, and I think that she really wanted to um, go to a different place, she wanted to be somewhere else, she wanted to imagine herself in a better place, and And I think that's the power of the stories, the imagery. It helps us imagine and and put ourselves in a better place. And and that's what she wanted. And and so despite the fact that she was in pain, despite the fact that she was uncomfortable, um, she fought through it. She put on her Alice in Wonderland dress, even though it took her a half hour to do that. Um, it, It took three people to hold her up while we took her images. And um, and she and I and it was it was the moment really when the project became very real for me um, because she and I sat there and and we talked about what Wonderland would be like and we talked about what it would be like to be there and knowing that she was facing the end of her life um, we we were able to imagine a better place mm-hmm. and together and and so that the images that I created for her. Where she and I created those images together and and they're some of my most favorite um,
0: photographs and uh, Lisa Shurtleff wrote, wrote the story Jordan in everywhere uh, beautiful story about uh, about Jordan um you what feedback have you gotten from the from the children do they I guess they uh, some of these are very young as well so so maybe their parents yeah. re- read the stories to them and they look at the photographs what what uh, reaction have you gotten?
1: The, the reaction has been overwhelmingly positive. Each of the um, – I really feel like these kids are now my friends and, and the families are my friends. We stay in contact. We talk to each other. Um, they, they, I follow them on Facebook and Instagram and, and everything, and, and um, we had the chance to do a book signing um, when the f- book first came out, and a lot of the kids were able to come and uh, be there with their authors and sign books next to their authors and that was a really fun experience but um, just seeing those kids again it was was just really interesting I hadn't seen some of them for a number of months and they just ran up and gave me a hug and were just you could just see in their eyes and they all I've gone to their homes to drop off their images you know because I enlarge their images and 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 a number of them I've been able to uh, drop those images off at their homes and they all still remember who I am and remember, you know, a lot of, a lot of times these kids, when they meet strangers, uh, strangers mean bad because it's usually a new doctor, a new nurse, or whatever that's going to poke them or, um, you know, cause them maybe some pain and that sort of thing. And so um, when they meet a stranger that does something really fun and is, is, is not going to hurt them and just taking a picture, uh, I think they really remember that, and and some of the kids were we were able to do really fun experiences. The whole idea was to get them into imagining that they're really in their dream. For example, William the the Dragon Rider, he's on the cover of the book. Um, you know, we we worked to go into the mountains, and and he and I walked around and looked looked for his dragon, and and he loved doing that. He loved you know using his imagination and being just being able to. Be a kid again, and, and that's really—I think—that's a very powerful thing for these kids, and, and they remember that. And so the, the response has been overwhelmingly positive.
0: Uh, finally, uh, if people want to support the project or are interested in it. Uh, I guess the website is anythingcanbeproject.com. Is that the place to go?
1: That's the place to go.
0: Okay. Yep. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's a wonderful book. The book is out, and uh, some. Some best-selling authors are involved, Shannon Hale, Brandon Mole, Alec Condi, Jennifer Nielsen, and others. And uh, the creator of this project and photographer is Jonathan uh, uh, Diaz. Oh, it's a wonderful project. It's uh, great to talk to you about it. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: And uh, we are going to uh, hear next from uh, Peggy Edelman. Uh, she is author of one of the stories. This is a story about Bray Lynn. And uh, if you go to the, the website and uh, pick up the book, you can see a beautiful picture here of Braylyn. I think she was uh, four years old at the time of the shoot. Uh, Peggy Edelman is author of Sky Skyjumpers, um, won uh, several awards, and it's sequel The Forbidden Flats. She lives in Utah with her husband and three kids, and you can find her uh, at PeggyEdelman.com. I reached her uh, last week. We uh, talked about her participation in this project. How did you come to be involved in this project? How did you... Uh, did, I guess they, they reached out to you. Did did they have a specific little girl in mind? Did they have Braylon in mind for you?
2: Um, at first, no. When I first met with them, did um, you hear about the project? We just uh, talked yes. generally about the project and about maybe what what kinds of things I write and those types of things. And then later on, they paired me up with Braylon, which was, I think, just a perfect pairing. She is such an adorable girl. And... Just from the start, when I saw that picture of her, because they had already finished her picture and it was already on the website, she just she had such a fierce determination about her, and such a funkiness and a big heart that just from the start I could tell that it was going to be a story that I was going to really enjoy writing.
0: <laughs> uh, of course, you write, you've written Sky Jumpers and uh, and sequel. Right. Um, so I guess that that was the process. The the, the Briefed you on the whole project, and then they paired you up. So right. uh pretty young; she was three at the time. Four. 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 She was four at
2: the time, and she's
0: five now. Five now, yeah. Uh, so all of these kids are pretty brave. It's uh, well, I think this, this particular, you know, cancer really, really tugs at the heartstrings, but but especially so with kids. Oh,
2: definitely. It's amazing that they go through so much and can still have such a hugely positive attitude about everything. They're pretty incredible people.
0: How much time were you able to spend with Berlin?
2: Um, I got to email back and forth with her mom quite a bit Mm -hmm. before I wrote the story and found out a lot more about her and what her likes are, so I could put a lot more of her personality and a lot of things that were really special to her into the story. And then I didn't actually meet her until after this the story after I was done writing and had already gone through the process. It was little before the book came out. And so I got to meet her then, and then I got to sign books with her at the launch party. And that was one of the funnest things that I have ever done. She <laughs> was just – she was wonderful through that whole thing and so contagiously happy and made everybody else around her smile, and she just kept on going, signing your name and, and not even – for an hour and a half straight, she just kept on signing her name over and over and kept on adding embellishments, like a heart or a smiley face, and was just radiating happiness <laughs> to everyone around her. It was it was a lot of fun.
0: Did she like the story you wrote?
2: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I put a lot of action in it because I could tell just from her picture and the fact that she wanted to be a superhero that, that action was the way to go. <laughs> and then I really just tried to put a lot into it that would make it a good read-aloud for... You know, her parents, to be able to read it to her, other kids who are her age, would hear this story out loud. So it it was a fun story to write. It was difficult, more difficult than I thought it would be.
0: Well, uh, how so?
2: Um, I think when you're writing about an actual real person, it just it's a different process, and you want to be able to make it, you know, so special for that person. And it's not a regular character that you could, you know... Do bad things too, like you do in stories. You know, you get them in a lot of trouble, and then they have to find their way out. And it's it's very difficult to, I don't know, just encapsulate everything about this person that you're wanting to express in a story.
0: Uh, and uh, you know, it occurred to me as I was reading this um, for a four year old. You you know, you can't make your villain too scary, and so he'd, he's, he's just called bad guy. Yes. Um, yes. And he, he wants to he wants the train to run over her, her stuffed animals and such. And the, of course the plot is that she she saves them with her super speed, her her superpower. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, did uh, I'm not sure how the process worked. Did your story come first and then the photo shoot?
2: No, the photo shoot actually came first.
0: Okay, all right.
2: So yes, when they paired me up with Braylin, I could immediately see her photographs and and was familiar even with it before they let me know who I was going to be paired with.
0: And we'll put this on our. On our uh, website, hopefully here, uh, she's uh, Bray Lynn, uh four years old. Uh, she's in the guise of, say, Superman with a cape, and she's holding her stuffed animals and and dolls, and she's saving them at, from an onrushing train. It's it's, uh, it's very impressive uh, photography. Um, yeah. So I, w- I wonder, doing this type of type of thing, as you say, harder than uh, than maybe writing. Something like, you know, it would ordinarily write sky jumpers or, or something else, because you're writing about a, a real person.
2: Yes. And someone who has just overcome so much and is just, you know, overflowing with such personality. And so it, it's it's quite, it's very humbling to take on that kind of a project mm-hmm. and to, to try to do it that justice.
0: What do you hope that this does for Bray Lynn and perhaps others who will read the book?
2: Um, to just bring about that sense of being able to accomplish, you know, incredible things. And obviously, you know, she does some things that you can't really accomplish in life like being able to fly up or run at super speed and things like that. But just, you know, kind of that metaphor for there's some really hard things in life and, and you can push forward and do it and figure out what your strengths are and really, really find a way to do it and make a difference.
0: Uh, do you think this will have an effect on your riding going forward? Do you. We you have this in, in mind, you know, somebody like Bray Lynn and having participated in this project?
2: Um, I think that it, yeah, touches you and changes you in ways probably more than what I've even realized. Um, but, yeah, it was very, very incredible and very touching to be part of this project, mm. and I think it's something that really kind of changes you.
0: And it's, uh, you know, in, in, I mean, it's, it's a totally positive project. That's why we're spotlighting it here on this program. Uh, in a way, it's hard, though. It's, uh, you know, it is to me. Reading through the book and looking at the photographs, wonderful things that they're doing. Very but then you come back to these are these are sick kids. they're facing you know some really hard things.
2: Yes, I think they're pretty inspirational to everybody that they're facing such hard things, harder than what most people have to face. And just doing it with such grace and and good attitudes and and strength. Being able to see such strength from a little kid, I think is inspiring to everyone.
0: Have you been able to read the other stories, see the other photographs?
2: Most of them I have, yes.
0: Mm-hmm. What, what, what do you think? Anything stand out?
2: Um, I, I got to read an early version of Liesl Shirtless, the um, Jordan in Wonderland. And um, Jordan actually passed away before she wrote her story. And that was just, it was such a touching story to me. It was Just one that I really enjoyed. Frank Coles really stood out to me as well. It was a football player who used his prosthetic leg in the story to help score a touchdown, which I <laughs> thought was was pretty brilliant. And I loved that he brought that out as a lighter way of doing it, but still acknowledging that that he does have that prosthetic. And I think there were just some incredible stories. Every one of them has been just amazing to read.
0: Yeah, they're they're very touching. Uh, uh, wonderful project and um g- glad you were able to to be a part of it and i'm glad you're able to talk about it with with us thank you so much
2: so nice thank you for having me
0: and we appreciate uh Jonathan Diaz earlier in the program. And right there, Peggy Edelman, who wrote one of the stories, uh, wonderful project. True Heroes is the book. It's a treasure of modern-day fairy tales written by best-selling authors featuring uh, pediatric cancer patients. Uh, You can find out more information at anythingcanbeproject.com. And again, the book is True Heroes. We're going to hear another inspirational uh, story coming up following uh, the break. Um, We're going to hear from Taylor Richards, his story, Utah man who... uh, uh, became an alcoholic at about age 15. Spent 10 years in addiction. Uh, finally, you beat it. He's a recovering alcoholic and successful entrepreneur and uh, husband and father. We're going to hear his story following the break.
2: Did you know that there are strategies that can help you to save money, even if you don't feel like you can put anything in the bank right now? Pre-committing to your decision to save makes you more likely to carry it out. So if you know you can put money aside in the future, set up an automatic savings plan that will go into effect a few months down the road. You can also encourage your children to save by opening a savings account for them. You can do this as soon as you have their social security numbers. And when your child is seven or eight, that is a good time to start teaching them about the value of money. Parents are the main resource children learn their spending habits from.
0: This segment of Did You Know That has been
1: brought to you by our members and the Emma Eccles-Jones College of Education and Human Services, committed to mentoring tomorrow's educators, researchers, and clinicians, located on campuses in Logan and 26 other sites throughout Utah.
0: Hey, I'm
2: Jill Deacon. Throughout the 60s and 70s, Tom Jones was one of the biggest names in music. But in his quest to keep his fame, he lost his authentic voice. Next time on Q, we'll chat about the many draws and drawbacks of success. That's coming up on Q from PRI Public Radio International.
3: Join us Monday afternoon at 1 on
0: Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. I'm quoting uh, Desert News columnist uh, Jason F. Wright here. On Thanksgiving night, 2008, Taylor Richards of Sandy sat in his dark car a few miles from his parents' home. He was exhausted, cold, 25 years old, and a raging alcoholic. He was also alone. This wrong kind of silent night was interrupted by a phone call from his brother, Spencer. A few minutes later, they sat together in the front seat of his Subaru wagon and ate turkey and uh, stuffing on paper plates. Uh, We're going to hear this uh, gripping story of uh, Taylor Richards uh, from uh, Taylor Richards himself. Thanks for joining us. Hi, how are you? Good, good. Um, So I imagine that's still pretty uh, set in your mind that that Thanksgiving night 2008. The quote here in in the column is that uh, you need need to do something, but getting and staying sober and happy seemed about as likely as building a space shuttle out of the few belongings you had in your car and then orbiting Earth. (laughs) It's quite the striking image.
3: Yeah, yeah. Basically, uh, yeah, as it sounds, just literally impossible. Couldn't really fathom it being, uh, a reality.
0: So take me back to, uh, your, your teens. You, uh, about the age of 15, you, uh, discovered marijuana. That was the, that was the start, I guess.
3: Correct. Yeah.
0: This was in Salt Lake city area, I believe.
3: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just in, uh, Sandy. Um, actually my first, first time smoking was just down the street from, from where I grew up. And, uh, out of a soda pop can,
0: hmm. so... Oh, really? Wow. Yep. <laughs> uh, so you were, I guess you were You're part of a, a LDS family? I am. Yeah. Uh, so your parents, I guess, for a while probably didn't know anything that was going on.
3: No, no, and I'm the uh, oldest of six, and so, yeah, I was the one that, that broke them in, and... Um, yeah, they had never dealt with a teenager, let alone uh, myself, who was, you know, experimenting and partaking in the extracurricular activities. Yeah. of a teenager, if you will.
0: Then you found alcohol. Uh-huh. Uh huh. When did you know? When did you have an inkling that perhaps this might be controlling you, and you not controlling it? In other words, that you were an alcoholic.
3: Um, pretty pretty early on, uh, I was. I think it was when I was 16 and I just, I remember, uh, me and a few buddies sitting in a car for hours, uh, waiting for someone with an ID to purchase a, the alcohol for us. And then, um, you know, just doing crazy things, but that seemed logical at the time to find places to drink or, um, you know different ways to get it, and I just remember thinking this is a bit bit crazy, but not getting the alcohol was never you know an option and so I remember just thinking i think i'm I think I'm one of those alcoholics that I've heard about
0: um I guess it's a big way it's a it's a long journey from having that thought oh, yeah, I might be an alcoholic to actually i guess doing something about it or maybe even wanting to do something about it,
3: yeah. Yeah, I mean, for years I was I was okay with the fact that I was an alcoholic. Um, in fact, I would admit it, you know, to, you know, friends and jobs that I was getting fired from that I was an alcoholic. And I always remember the them being impressed that I was able to be so honest with them and open and uh, all the time thinking to myself, well, yeah, isn't it? Isn't it, you know, more than obvious, <laughs> being that I was always intoxicated and um, that was always the center and focus of my of my social life and life in general. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't for until I think the first treatment program that I wanted, you know, to change. I was 20 years old and, uh, Yeah. But even then, you know, it didn't take, and it was a few after that, a few treatment programs after that, that I finally did the deal and gave AA and the 12 steps an actual a fighting a fighting chance.
0: I guess that's the key. You actually have to really want it, don't you? Because you you were in a couple of treatment programs. I was reading the article that, uh, where you know, where you told them what they wanted to hear, so you get out of there.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well I was uh and that was um when I was sixteen I was sent to a an all boys school slash treatment program that I never I never wanted to be there. You know, I knew that my drugging and drinking days weren't over and um yeah, I just did what they wanted, said what they wanted to hear knowing all the time that as soon as I got back out and was given a little bit of freedom that I was going to go back to my old ways. Um, but then, the you know, the three following, three programs following that, I, I entered with the actual intent and, you know, desire to stop drinking and, and drugging. But, um, you know, the disease is for myself is a lot smarter than I give it credit for and uh, always worked its way back in my life. And um, yeah, it wasn't until I, you know, in in the rooms of AA, there's a lot of cliches and uh, wasn't until I gave all those and, you know, an honest effort that I realized, Hey, I can actually get sober, stay sober and be happy and rather, be sober than be intoxicated, you know.
0: I wonder, especially looking back and having worked through some things, uh, you know. Sometimes we, we, I don't know that this is a, a true cliche. Was there a hole you were trying to fill with alcohol? Was there, you know, something that uh, unmet need or you know something inside yourself, or was it just alcohol's, you know, pretty powerful? And if you have alcoholic tendencies, then then it gets a grip on you.
3: Um. Yeah, there's definitely, definitely a hole. And, uh, you know, and I didn't really address that until my sponsor pointed it out time and time again, you know, that even when I was sober, I was doing other things to fill that hole. You know, I was uh, working out or I was, you know, doing skiing or biking alcoholically. Um, And it really just came back to me being okay with Taylor you know, and, um, I remember back when I was just starting to drink the, the courage that I felt and the confidence I felt with myself, um, versus being sober, you know, it wasn't, it definitely wasn't the taste, uh, you know, it was strictly the effects, but, uh, you know, after working the steps with my sponsor, I was finally okay with Taylor and, you know, proud of Taylor. You know, always, there's obviously always room uh, room for improvement and I'm not perfect by any means, but I'm I'm finally okay with Taylor. And that was, you know, the biggest step for me to finding just peace and serenity while I was sober and active in recovery. So...
0: Well, we're yeah, we're very glad that you've uh, you have uh, made that recovery. Um, we're, if you just joined us, we're we're hearing uh, from Taylor Richards. He's uh, lives in uh, Sandy now, I believe, and um, his uh, company is Izm Apparel. You can find it at izmapparel.com. We'll, we'll get to talking about that. Um, he uh, realized that at age 15 he was an alcoholic. It took him more than 10 years to to uh to recover now he is a recovering alcoholic and uh, the uh, story has a happy ending he's married has a has a child and uh, uh, on his way to a success with, the, with this apparel business um i want to talk about interaction with your family this this, this had to have been tough on your parents on your siblings um you know it, it, this is an old part of the story but it, apparently you stole money from your parents to you know to buy some marijuana and and of course they're I guess as they realize the problems that you that, that you have they get educated and they try to get you into recovery but it's a very long process and a lot of ups and downs I wonder if you'd tell me a little bit about that
3: um, yeah I mean I was constantly stealing from from my parents from my siblings um, it was. You know, now it's kind of a, a joke that no money or, you know, things of value were to be left out if they knew I was coming over to the house. Uh, um, and with my parents, you know, you said getting me into treatment and whatnot, um, a big part of, like we talked about earlier, just being ready and really wanting it, um, I had to hit, as you've as they say, you know, rock bottom, and um, it is odd thinking back, hitting what I thought was my rock bottom, entering a treatment program with full intention to, you know, get and stay sober, um, but then it not taking 60 or 90 days later, relapsing and getting into my old ways, but uh, it wasn't until my parents really cut me off completely that you know, it really accelerated my uh, my fall. You could say um, to hitting my my actual rock bottom. Um, you know, they said don't don't even contact us by by phone unless you have six months of sobriety. Um, you know, and that's what led up to you know, like it says in the article, my me living in my car, my brother bringing some some Thanksgiving leftovers down to me. Um, But yeah, it wasn't until my parents stopped enabling me and they actually started attending Al-Anon meetings um, in the Valley, which really, really helped them just to, you know, not think that they can save me or that they can change me because there was nothing anybody said or did that would, you know, or could have gotten me sober or that could have kept me, um, or that could have, you know, pushed me to go back out. It was really all up to me to, to finally being ready. But it's hard to say, you know, like if someone has an actu- if they've actually hit their rock bottom, um, because like I said, with myself, uh, you know, I thought that I had reached that, uh, numerous times when in actuality, I wasn't, I wasn't quite ready
0: that that had to be an excruciating decision for your parents to to cut you off and 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 to just realize that uh, well you've you've got to hit your rock bottom before you can recover
3: yeah yeah it was uh it was quite quite hard and um you know now having a, a son i can have a little more empathy but uh i remember them telling me that the happiest or The most comfortable times for them were when I was in jail, just because they knew where I was, that I was, you know, relatively safe. And, um, but yeah, it was very, very hard. And, um, so, you know, I owe them a lot just for that tough love that they, that they showed me, um, because that really, really was a huge step in me being ready to, to make the changes needed.
0: Now through uh through all this you uh, you have I guess still have a, a love of skiing. You'd always find a way to to ski and, and sometimes find jobs in the, in the industry. Uh so uh it was I I guess it was a big sign to your family when when you I guess w- did you tell this to your brother? You you said you're going to sell your ski equipment. That's you're going to the Yeah. It was an indication that yeah, you well, would, actually, you were really ready. And
3: I gave it Yeah, exactly. And I actually gave it to him. Okay. Um, just kind of as a, you know, I'm ready. Um, and I, I believe it was his idea like, you know, why don't you give it to me thinking Taylor might be, might not be so willing tomorrow morning. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, a big sign to them that, uh, I was ready. Cause that's all I was doing at the time was, you know, living in my car, Skiing every day, you know, drinking from the, literally the moment I would wake up to, you know, later that evening or early morning when I would pass out.
0: So tell me about, uh, and you've been in treatment programs, but you just weren't ready yet. What, what was different now about that the last treatment program that really this, this took? I guess you were ready.
3: Yeah, I was. I was ready. Um, you know, I. My last treatment program was a uh, Renaissance Ranch, um, which is an inpatient uh, program. It's actually just out in Bluffdale, but uh, the inpatient factor was huge for me because uh, programs, you know, before that, they would I would go home at night, come back the next day, and all that time in between was just Taylor up in Taylor's head, you know, whereas at the ranch where it was residential and I stayed there, um, I was just safe, you know, from me, uh, which gave me time to clear my head and not have all the distractions of, of the outside world. Um, you know, my disease basically just constantly giving me ideas or, you know, telling me that Taylor knows how to stay sober. I don't need AA or I don't need, 12 steps and so but yes the biggest reason the biggest um step initially was me finally being being ready and willing um to make the changes because it's basically you know i had to start a completely new life um and uh you know it worked
0: then you uh, at a certain point i guess you 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 know you're recovering you're getting healthier you remembered a, a woman you'd met. Uh, tell me about that. You reached reached out to her. Was it through social media? How'd you how'd you find your? Yeah,
3: life? yeah, on uh, Facebook.
0: On Facebook, yeah.
3: And uh, yeah, Brenda. Um, we had dated. She came out uh, from Minnesota to visit a friend, um, a ski buddy of mine, who comes out to Utah every winter for the ski season, and we had met. You know, hit it off. She moved back here. The the following season all the time, us being in contact and talking on the phone. We dated for about a year, and then she moved back to Minnesota. Um, I actually moved up to Alaska, and, you know, she was just the one that got away. She was always on my mind. I was always comparing her to the girls that I was, you know, dating, and um, and actually the girl I broke up with just before even having contact with Brenda. I told her about Brenda, you know, I was, that I felt a certain way about a girl um, years ago, being, you know, nine nine or so years, um, and I just didn't feel that way about her. And, uh, and so, yeah, I looked her up, gave her my phone number. Um, she texted me few months later uh saying that she was flying through salt lake had a layover wanted to grab lunch and so that was about three weeks off um or about what was it five weeks because after she texted me we would talk for you know two to four hours on the phone every day and she came out before the layover for a three-day weekend and you know it was all still there and We both felt the same way, and she had actually um, been engaged out in Minnesota, and uh, you know, broke it off, uh, having the same feelings about me. And um, so, yeah, and then she moved out here about uh, I was about a month after her her layover, and
1: yeah.
0: Um, and, a few years later, yeah. Now you have a, a beautiful uh, son, uh, and named him Grayson, I think. Uh, uh, Correct. Yeah. What uh, What advice do you have for people who are still struggling with their alcoholism or or addictions? You're a you, you know you're a success story. You're you you're recovering. What What advice do you have?
3: Um, just that this the twelve steps do work. You know that in my opinion um, and what I've experienced is that the 12 steps are truly inspired that, you know, being from where I was and how impossible it was to, you know, for me to stay sober, um, for it to happen, it's still surreal for me, you know, daily. And uh, that the 12 steps do work and that the AA fellowship, for me at least was the only way that I could get sober and that the only way that I've been able to stay sober. Um, but this... it, it does take, you know, it took me giving it an actual honest effort. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and in, in the big book, it says, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed up, followed these steps. And my sponsor used to tell me that, um, and who knows if it's actual fact, but, that uh, Dr. Bob, who one of the authors of, of the big book, if he could have changed anything um, in it, it would have been to change that to never have we seen a person fail hmm. um, who has thoroughly followed this our path. Um, and I truly believe that. You know, I um, being active in AA and um, I actually work out at Renaissance Ranch, I've, I've yet to see somebody who is... Honestly worked the 12 steps, you know, with a sponsor, um, attended regular meetings, uh, just been, anyone that's been active in AA and its fellowship, uh, you know, I've yet to see somebody fail. Um, I have plenty of good friends that have had years of sobriety that have gone out, uh, and then it just comes back to, you know, either stopped going to meetings or, they thought they could handle situations that, that they couldn't, or they stopped, you know, being in contact with their sponsor. But it always goes back to they weren't doing, you know, they weren't doing something mm-hmm. in their program. So, but that it is possible, but it does take a an honest effort
0: well we've uh, reached the end of our time just want to mention here but put in a plug for your, your company you've uh, it's called izmapparel.com. that's the website anyway um, which uh, presents i'm quoting from the website attractive yet functional clothing and clothing accessories for those that not only enjoy gravity sports but could not imagine life without them so good luck with your with your company um thank and you. and congratulations on on your sobriety it's, a, it's an inspirational story thank you so much for telling it to us
3: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Taylor Richards has been our uh, guest on this part of the program, and uh, thanks so much for listening to Access Utah. We're going to be uh, talking with uh, Iranian-American harpsichordist Mahan Esfahani on the program tomorrow. Uh, He is uh, trying to modernize at least our idea of this uh, ancient instrument, the harpsichord. In fact, you'll hear allusions tomorrow to hip-hop. We hope you'll join us for Mahan Esbhani tomorrow. Thanks for listening today.
2: I'm Indira Lakshmanan. A new film documents
0: the American reporters who struggled to tell the real story during the early years of the Vietnam War.
3: These were all young men, all on their first big assignments. The more experienced reporters didn't want to go there because the war wasn't going to be very important, people thought.
0: That's next time on Here and Now.
3: Join us Monday morning at 11
0: on Utah Public Radio. It's easy to help a child receive
1: Christmas this year when you make a gift right now to Utah Public Radio. For every gift made to UPR by this Tuesday, the employees of Conservus in Logan will contribute to Cache County Sub for Santa to make Christmas possible for one child, up to 100 kids. 100 pledges mean 100 children will receive Christmas. Make your year-end gift to UPR right now and help a child too. Just go to UPR.org.
0: Happy Holidays. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, hd one Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan.